The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... two-man power trip of wrestling every host jp john pause with me today very very special guest he's a wwe hall of famer wwe grand slam champion ecw world tv and tag team champion he's done it all been there he's done that he is one of a kind he's mr rvd rob van dam rob welcome back to two-man power trip how you doing i am doing excellent dude very good what's going on in your world what have you been up to lately um just got back uh from uh, georgia doing a uh, uh a trip uh in the uh personal priorities katie's brother graduated so we went to atlanta had a great time making a, a video out of it for my youtube page though like uh i just said i just got some editing software and now like whenever i have a few minutes i'm like trimming videos and stitching them together and nice. uh and that's something that um i'm having a lot of fun with i I think I told you about the RVDology episodes, but in between yeah. that, I'm, I'm 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 getting better and better at just capturing content because I've always sucked at that. Like for years, like my Instagram, I post like once every two months, like really bad, you know. But yeah, anyway, um, just got back from that. I will be uh, in Hoopston, Illinois, on Saturday mm-hmm. with the Godfather. Um, I've never heard of Hoopston either, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going, and then. Yeah. Uh, Come back for a couple of days, and then I go to Japan. I have a match uh, June 12th for uh, Noah, and I'm really stoked for that. This will be my first time going back to Japan uh, in, well, quite a while. I guess since maybe a WWE run in 2014. Wow, that's awesome. I had no idea you're going back to Japan. That's really cool. Pro wrestling always building itself back up again. Yeah, and, you know, it's – for me, just my connection, you know, the whole story. I mean, Japan gets taken out of my um, my my biography a lot of times. Like it just it just does. Yeah. But it's really where I learned a lot. And uh, you know, from '93 to '97, I wrestled for All Japan. Mister Baba died, and then uh, Mrs. Baba took over. And a lot of the boys didn't get along with Mrs. Baba. Our top Japanese dude Misawa left. Yep started Noah uh competition and then uh he, here here it is now um what 
well, 20, holy shit, 25 years later, now I'm going back and I'll be wrestling for, for Noah for the first time. Pretty awesome. Yeah, you're right. People always forget, like, you wrestle for All Japan. In there with Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, even Mike Awesome for, for you know, a period of time there, of course. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Why, like, why do you think that is? That is that's odd because you had some pretty good uh, barn burners over there. Um, I assume it's because the, uh, that was, like, either pre-internet or, or right when the internet was starting. I think it was mostly pre-internet. It was around that time. I don't think, you know, people were VHS trade taping, but I, I think that maybe people don't know about it as much because they didn't have the accessibility. I mean, that, that's just a guess, though. I mean, I started I started there when I was just 22 and, and really learned to put it together over there by getting the shit kicked out of me by Kawada and uh, a lot of the uh, other older Japanese guys that, that felt like I needed to be humbled a little bit wearing a black belt doing jumping spin kicks over there yeah. and I, with my rosy red cheeks and bare feet. Uh, it, but they were right. And, and then, you know, I really did learn to, to put it together there. As a matter of fact, one very pivotal match I had was with uh, Danny Crawford in uh, 96. Might have been 95. I think it was 96. And, man, I learned so much in that match. I'll just always remember it that way. You know, that he taught me that it matters when you do your moves in the match, you know, like you got to learn um, how to connect with the emotions and build them with the crowd. And and, you know, without without all that time in Japan wrestling in front of that awesome crowd, I wouldn't be the same RVD. You like that style? You know, they're obviously a little bit more snug and, and stuff like that. I love that. Yeah, I always loved the style. Didn't love the traveling as much. Didn't wasn't into the food as much. Um, as I got older and more experienced, uh, especially after Sabu jumped, came over to our uh, to our company, and I could travel with Sabu, he taught me a lot more about how to get around because the first tours, like every all the young boys, the whole goal is to try to not spend any money because it's so expensive. So all the boys would bring big bags of. Tuna fish for some reason, you know, I don't, you know, like you can't get that there. And uh, yeah. peanut butter, and you try, you know, and it's like, no, don't drink a Coke out of your refrigerator in your room. That's 300 yen. And across the street, it's 120 yen. And it was like that. Uh, and then after a while, when I was making more money um, and uh, had Sabu to uh, kind of take me under his wing, I was finding a Yakiniku steakhouse every night and then really enjoying it a lot more. But at first, it was just the matches, the competition, uh, that athletic style, the no gimmicks that I really, really was drawn to. Um, but I was homesick, uh, paying dues to to get there. Yeah, I mean, was it, it's got to be what fourteen hour flight or whatever it is? I mean, that that can't be fun either. No, that that's not fun. And then sometimes we would have like lots and lots and lots of bus rides. Sometimes we'd have like a ten hour long bus ride. And, uh, and then we would f hop on a ferry, drive the bus onto the ferry, go across a waterway, and then still have, like, another two-hour drive. And uh, it was a lot of that. And, you know, being young, it wasn't like you could just say, hey, uh, I got a piss. Can you pull over? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you got yeah. that peer pressure, that, that mentality. Like, I don't want to get any heat or, you know, had anybody mad at me. And so there's all that, that uh, frat boy pr pressure to the dressing room stuff. So – I didn't enjoy that. You know, a lot of the guys would like piss in Gatorade bottles and I'd see them pissing all over the seat. And I'm like, oh my God, dude, like 
that is so nasty. I'm not, I couldn't do <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, right. Gross. Yeah. yeah. Long, yeah. Long ride there. Um, and, but it was, it was something where right away I felt appreciated. And then more and more as I was there, they let me really know how much they appreciated me, the fans and Baba, even, you know, like Phil LaFont, Danny Crawford, he was telling me like, he would say like, uh, if you, if you ask me in front of people, I'm going to totally deny it. Don't tell anybody I told you this, but Baba loves you. You got a future here. And uh, so that was always, that was something that was different, I think, than other, other places in its own flavor. You know, Baba saying, what do you need? What do you want to make you happy? You know, it was really, it was good, enjoyable, East, Eastern loyalty. It was a good experience. What was about Baba that you like so much that, you know, a lot of the other guys did too, but they didn't like about the wife is just because she doesn't really know the business or, you know, what was, what was the disconnect with, with the wife? Uh, I can't speak for uh, experience uh, because, you know, I didn't, I didn't talk to her that much. I talked to her a few times, not enough to really know her. Um, and with Baba, you know, it wasn't like I was hanging out with him, going to his house and, golfing with him you know so right. to me it didn't make as much of a difference guys like masawa kawada tawe kabashi uh, i mean those guys like grew up there in, in that company underneath mr and mrs baba so they had a lot more of a personal relationship that i really wasn't privy to were you hanging out with johnny ace those days a little bit a little bit um but I was on the other side of the fence. I mean, there was literally an invisible fence <laughs> uh, hmm. right in the middle of the bus and the hoods were in the back and the office was in the front. And it was so ridiculous thinking back about that mentality, but that's when I was young, that's what got put into my brain. And, and that's what I identified with when, when we were, when we get to Nagoya, I'm looking forward to scoring some hash so we can smoke that automatically made me a hood. Even if I wasn't into coke and acid and math and all the crazy shit that everybody was into, I still would end up with that crowd in their room. Uh, and Johnny Ace would be office. You know, he would maybe get something to eat with Stan Hansen or Dale Wilkes or maybe Doug uh, Furness. And it, 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 it it's weird how it was how that bothered Gary Albright so much. Like every single day. Gary Albright talked all day about how much he hated Ace. And there was so much heat there, like uh, Jungle Jim Steele. Remember him? Oh, God, yeah. I just I interviewed him not that long ago. Yeah, I loved him, yeah. Oh, okay, cool, man. I haven't, yeah. talked to him. I haven't talked to him probably since this story I'm going to tell you. But big, jacked-up, you know, 280-pound bodybuilder dude. We're coming out of the Hard Rock one time, the, us hoods, you know, um, in Rapungi, And we get a few steps uh, out the door, and then Gary all of a sudden – he would turn heel when he would drink. They called him Hyde. Uh, and he turned heel on Jim. And he was just like, I'm not going anywhere with this fucking pussy. And uh, whoa, 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 wait, where's this coming from? He's like, fuck that. I'm not going anywhere with him. You're, you're aces, boy. We're like, oh, come on, Gary. Not this again. You know, no, fuck that. You were with Ace all day, man. You're fucking, you know, you're fucking stooge. And Jim was like, Gary, what? I mean, I, I like both of you guys, you know, whatever. Gary went smack and he smacked him so hard across the face that we all felt it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, poor Jim. Jim's such a good guy. And here he, now he has to really either eat shit 
or what's he going to do respond in a retaliatory way which would not be pretty you know especially with a drunk gary albright wanting to time in a pretzel uh but uh it was it was like that so it was so weird but of course i never had any issues i like johnny um and, and i don't know what <laughs> what that was about it was it was uh it was almost like mythical you know like the uh like having uh you know the heaven and hell um pulling at each other uh right on the on the bus and and, and it getting a little bit political from there not that gary had enough pull you know to bury you if he didn't like you or anything but he had his his way of pouting and uh and making you uh realize his feelings man i wouldn't want to be on gary albright's wrong mm -hmm. side oh my god no. he was a beast he was a monster yeah kind of like a undervalued just great gaijin like legend i mean he was a he was a beast yeah, and he wrestled so stiff, and like uh, everybody knew that he could scrap, you know. And he was came up Nebraska amateur champion, you know, like last guy you want to fuck with. And when he would drink, he would want to fight. I mean, one of the his very first tour that he came over from uh, UWF or UHF, whichever it was. Um, we were in a bar. <laughs> Everyone's getting along fine. A little while later, after some beers. He's uh, he's down on his knees with his hands behind his back, talking to some military dude that happened to have pissed him off. Come on, pussy boy! Come on, pussy boy! Hit me! And we're just like, oh my god, this yeah. dude! Yeah, crazy. Did you think at that point though, if like when people look back at that like King's Road era, if you will, of all Japan, they always say, "Wow, it's like the greatest rosters." Like, were you when you're in it? Do you think like, "Wow, look, there's Hanson, there's Doctor Death." Like, do you look at it like, "Wow, what a roster I'm, I'm under here." Not me, not me, no? um, and not since I was probably you know in my early twenties, kind of had that Mark mentality taken out of me and replaced with a, a perspective of competition. And then it's weird because now it's like this, this could be someone that I looked up to as a hero when I was a kid, never having a clue that I would even be able to wrestle with them at, at that level. But now that it's real life, I'm thinking, man, you know what? I want to beat this dude's ass. Like, fuck this guy. <laughs> and here he is, you know, someone that I, I thought was a superhero before. Now I'm literally measuring myself up against him because of, uh, you know, some real non-work non issues, you know. And it's like total different perspective. And the, the, the way the competitive mind takes over, it feels like that with everybody, you know. Like, every, you know, everyone's jockeying for position. Everyone's trying to either stab each other in the back or get ahead at the other one's expense and just all that stuff, the way it gets to me, I always kept my circle really close, you know, really small circle. Yeah. And, uh, and, and really like it's been uh, really refreshing the last few years to, to break out of that state of mind and not feel like that anymore. Like I don't feel competitive anymore. It, it, you know, it's, I feel like, Dude, I got life more figured out now. You know, maybe I was still trying to build a name and maybe that's why it was so important. I don't know. But now I feel more like, okay, I'm good. I got my path. You have your path. That's awesome that our paths are crossing together right now and we're having some adventures. And, um, and you know, I, I don't have to worry about how you're going to cut me off, so to speak. Yeah. That competitive edge is kind of gone. You're, you're very, you're very Zen-like. Yeah, it's so much better for me and for my spirit 
so much healthier. When I look back to having that mindset, like when people ask about my relationship with certain wrestlers, I have to think back to how I felt at that time 20 years ago. And, and man, a lot of those guys that you know, even, even if they were like really good guys, I had reasons, whether it was, you know, them being snug in the ring or something, whatever, but I, but I, you know, I, I'd, I'd have reasons, you know, to be like, uh, um, still feel like I had to have my, my defense up around all the time. And, and now it's more like when I see people, some of the people that I didn't get along with maybe, or didn't, didn't think that I liked for years. And now when I see them, you know, it's like, Oh, cool, man, you're still alive. Good for you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Yep. Now you mentioned RVDology and obviously the YouTube, you're starting it up. You're starting to get some stuff. Just explain to everybody what it is. Cause I knew you have stuff up there, but like karma and perception and speaking in absolutes, but what is RVDology? So basically, I mean, it's my way of life. And so I I'm sharing uh, some important qualities and uh, principles, values that I have because I think, I feel, you know, like it's lacking in the world. And I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid for society. I mean, sometimes people seem so dumb, you know, that I feel uh, I, I, like I lose my faith in humanity. And, I, and then there's other times where I think, you know, people have potential the one sometimes someone will contact me and they'll just say, Hey man, I heard you tell this story one time, blah, blah, blah. It changed my life. Those little stories mean so much to me and that motivates me. And so what RV theology is, is it's pointing out how important uh, to me and I'm different than everybody, but these are ways people can find they relate. Eventually they'll find ways that they don't relate uh, for sure. But um, things that uh, maybe aren't talked about. And, and then people are like, yeah, you know, now that you mentioned, I didn't think about it, but you're, you're right. You know, that makes a lot of sense. I actually hope to help people in that way, help steer them in their path uh, so that they can make better decisions. So I do it by um, explaining the, the values and then sharing stories that uh, I love telling stories. And, and all the stories on my theology, They've never been heard before. None of them. They're all like stories I've never told before. And, and at the same time, I'm also recording longer stories. A lot of these aren't as appropriate for general consumption, but they're more appropriate for someone that might be like buying a book. And I'm and so like I'm, I'm documenting a lot of uh, those stories. And again, no one's ever heard any of these stories. I guess for me, that's more interesting. You know, I do a lot of podcast interviews. I haven't done that in a while before agreeing to do this and appreciate you letting me talk about RV theology. Um, my YouTube page is the real RVD and, um, and I like to, 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 to share this, but a lot of the podcast interviews seem, you know, like the same questions over and over, you know, what was your crowning moment and who is your toughest opponent? And it's like, I guess for me, like a lot of the really fascinating stories where I can remember, I learned, and, and, and pivoted a little bit at that point in life um, in, in a good way, that's what fascinates me because these are stories that are pretty exciting. And some of them are about other wrestlers backstage in the ring. Some of them are when I was a kid, whatever. Um, and, and since I'm on the production end of it, though, by the way, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning as I'm going. So sometimes, yeah. the audio, sometimes the audio is a little scratchy or whatever, but 
uh, I'm, I'm getting there. The, the newer ones, uh, the newer ones tend to be better than the original ones. So you're so, doing all your own stuff. Like you're doing your own editing. Yeah. You're doing everything by yourself in house. Yeah, I am. I am at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, and I enjoy it, but, uh, the, uh, the editing, some of the, like I have a phone app that I just got and I added this uh, episode that I just posted today on my YouTube page about my uh, awesome Memorial weekend. And man, it was fun. Every time I'd have a few minutes, I'd be like trimming, trimming a scene, stitching stuff together, rearranging orders. And I had fun with that one with the RV theology. It's a lot harder because I'm using uh, OBS and uh, for me, that's a lot harder than the little uh, phone app, you know, but it's a different yeah. thing, but it's a different thing with a green screen behind me. And, um, you know, maybe it'll morph into something else eventually. But what it is right now is I, I try to keep people's attention uh, long enough, you know, to, to make it to the end. But I like to I like to warm up with how I feel about what we're talking about and, and then, you know, share some really personal stories. It was interesting. I was looking on there. I was like, "Tiny Zeus Lidster." What the heck did you run into Zeus? But that—that's pretty interesting. You know what I mean? Like that's something I yeah. don't think I've ever heard before. You and Zeus crossing paths. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, this was in uh, Thailand in 2001. I went there to film this movie, Black Mask Two, and um, the conditions were not favorable to to the seasoned, uh, you know, actor. Uh, he had lots of reasons to complain, but I was really happy. You know, man, this is awesome. I'm doing martial arts movie uh, in Thailand. They're paying me, you know, good. Uh, I'm working with Wu Ping, who created the the cable stunts in Matrix, you know, where you're flying all over. I was, I was really excited, but it was a third world country. It was dirty. We had to get tetanus shots before we went there. We were told we couldn't eat any food that had already been opened. It had to be right out of the package, um, or if we were in a really nice restaurant, uh, that was an exception. But we couldn't open your mouth in the shower, none of that. So I tell uh, a story when, I, when I'm talking. Uh, um, I'm not really sure. I don't remember exactly what, uh, what, uh, what I, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the value was that, that I talk about in that one, but what I will uh, always remember was he was so miserable and probably rightfully so, you know, I remember when we went to eat and I'm looking at the fruit and stuff going, um, oh, this flies all over it. And I'm going, huh, I don't, I don't see how we're going to. And he was just like, we can't eat this shit. My mama can't make me eat this. You know, and, and it was like, he's, you know, he, he's right. And then he's like saying, you know, our hotel uh, needs to be uh, condemned. And he heard that it was uh, condemned and they were going to be tearing it down and, uh, he needed to stay somewhere else. And he was just always complaining, complaining, complaining the whole time, which he had a right to, you know. But at the time, I could have seen him as, you know, not someone I really enjoyed working with, you know. And it got to a point where he rubbed off on me uh, and made me react in a way where I exploded on 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 the uh, crew because they had fucked up. I added up face down in the mud puddle after uh, after we talked about how everything was going to go. And he was like, you let them know. You can't let them get away with that. And he fired me up. And so I'm, you know, I'm like, hey, what the fuck? You know, and then right away I was like, that's not me. You know what I mean? Like, yep. like wait a minute. That's 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 him. And you know, I can't like I can't I got to control my own reactions to what happened and to what 
what the way that he's acting, you know. And so, so these are things that I love to tear apart and and really um, and really look at, you know, like uh, with different examples and, and point out things that, like I said, people probably don't think about, you know. But but if you really do think about it, you know, um, priorities is one. I I haven't even talked about this one yet, but it, it, I believe if everybody got to know their own priorities and had that self inner relationship and knowledge, it, it could help their life so much because people struggle with wondering why they do things, you know, like, oh, why do I keep cheating on my girlfriend? Or why is it that I can't study, you know, for this class and I know I need to, well, guess what? If you really looked at what was the most important to you and I have ways of doing that, you know, and it's all step-by-step step, giving like little pieces at a time. Uh, but if you really get to know yourself, then you'll realize, oh, I do this. Uh, I cheat on her because it's more important to me to get laid than it is, you know, to. Right. Uh, yeah. To, to take this risk when I don't think I'm going to get in trouble anyway. Anyway, I I just, you know, I'm a thinker. I'm usually the quiet guy um, with my mouth shut unless I'm getting paid or interviewed to, to talk. And it's and I'm usually studying and I'm, I'm usually in my head as as Katie puts it, I spend a lot of time in my head. This is a way of me sharing it. And people ask me all the time, like, dude, how can I be as cool as you? Or teach me your Zenfo way. I am, dude. Watch RVDology. There's a lot. You got to put it all together. And with Zeus, it was different angles, which is true. Like his different yep. angles. And then you ended up having a little bit of different perspective, like you mentioned. So very cool. Like the ideology of RVD, if you will. RVDology. It's very interesting yeah, to kind of yeah. get in your head. At the time, I was thinking, man, this guy's an asshole. I even wanted to fight him at one time, you know, because uh, uh, we had some words. I was talking about wrestling in, uh, in ECW, and this is 2001. If you remember, I was in, a, in an intersection where I could have gone any way I wanted. WWE wanted me. WCW yep. wanted me. I wanted ECW to survive so I wouldn't have to go there. Well, I guess Tiny thought that I was bragging and full of shit and bullshitting, but I was just standing the way it was. And he reacted in a way, said, I don't know. I don't know nothing about no ECW. All I know is that when Hulk Hogan walk in the room, men get down on their knees. Grown men on their knees when Hulk Hogan walk into the room. That's all I know. And I was like, he's trying to offend me, I think, but I don't disagree. I mean, Hulk Hogan's the man. I get that, yeah. but... And it wasn't until one of the guys told me later they thought I was full of shit until they saw me on TV and they were like, oh, my God, he is the whole fucking show. Like, why would I lie and bullshit? But a lot of people would, I guess. I wouldn't, but a lot of other people would. So um, I, you know, I went from thinking like, man, this guy has been a pain in the ass, the worst negative energy on the set. You know, let's get him off out of here to now, now seeing a bigger picture, I look at it like, he had his own experience there. Couldn't wait to get off the movie. He left after the after five days. And, uh, you know, he was probably promised a hell of a lot more than was delivered. Hey, stop it. With you and, and 01, it is interesting because WCW wanted you, right? ECW had you, and then WB, you'd eventually end up there anyway, but they wanted you at that point. I mean, uh, was that a big time like life decision to kind of stick with the ECW at that point, or or was it easy to get, kind of walk away right before they ended? Uh, well, it was like I was really learning to pay attention to the universe and, and the signs, you know, um, 
more so later that you know in 2006 when I 2007 when I left WWE on my own choice that was when I was really studying on my my path um, but it was like uh, my gut told me uh, stay in ECW that's where I'm happiest that's the artistic expression that I preferred and wanted to do and was hoping the audience would grow to a point where that would substantiate uh, a living for everybody. Um, WCW had straight up offered me a contract, you know, with numbers on it. And WWE was, uh, uh, you know, competing against that. And um, it also, um, we had the uh, evasion thing that, um, that, that we had done, you know, so I knew they're watching me. It was, it was just the way that it was, you know, I was like, I wasn't lying to say I was in high demand at the time. Was it a lot of money from WCW? Was it like so much you're like, ah, maybe I might go there for the money. Even though I might not be happy, I might go there. Um, you know, I, I think I like to say that I, I would consider anything, you know, I mean, even, even if considering means asking myself, do I want to do that? No, to me, that, that was worth considering, uh, whatever that was that I just asked myself, you know, uh, yep. this was more money than I had made before, but Paul had to step it up then and then offer me something to compete with that. So that's what happened. Uh, Paul said, I don't want you to go to WCW and you know, what can I do to get you to stay here? And of course, amongst other things that also included, um, a decent guarantee, um, and uh, I had favored nations in uh, in ECW. A lot of people don't know that. Wow, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I don't think I've even said that publicly, you know, but it, I did, and uh, um, and that was one of the many things with, along with my preference to really want to stay in ECW. I didn't want to sell out and become a character, um, and, and and just you know. Um, be someone, be a puppet for someone else's imagination like that. That wasn't appealing to me. Well, wow, how did the favorite nation, of course, favorite nations mean that if somebody comes along, let's say dreamer makes a certain amount, you evil, probably you equal that or are above that. Right. So you would be the highest paid guy basically no matter what, right? Which at the time we were bringing seditious in, you know, and I was thinking, Hey, you know, I, this, protection might you know be a factor here pretty soon you know like what are we we're we paying uh, that guy um but yeah that that's what it is and it was it was contract negotiations you know i had a guarantee um whether it was annual and then broken down or whatever i knew what i was going to get every two weeks or whatever when we got our check i think it was every two weeks um and, and i was getting that so even when some of the money wasn't coming in and the other guys had checks that were bouncing i wasn't getting some of the money. I never got the pay-per-view um, bonuses, the revenue. I never got any royalties for the action figures or, or T-shirts. But even though I wasn't getting that, I was still getting a uh, a guarantee that there was comparable to what WCW was offering me. So I wasn't complaining. Although I was right. taking a bigger and bigger hole by letting the royalties build up, and eventually that did become a problem that I couldn't get around. Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. 
Our partner has a product I literally use every day. I started using AG1 because I really didn't have the time to work out. I wanted better gut health. I wanted more energy. I want to optimize my immune system. I hate taking pills. I hate taking vitamins. But I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I wanted to see what all the hype was about. So I looked into Athletic Greens, and they are a lifestyle-friendly brand. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, they contain one less gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything, while still tasting good. They support better sleep quality and better recovery. They support mental clarity and alertness. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. AG1 is one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself. It costs you less than $3 a day. Think about it. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself, and you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. For each purchase, we will donate organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. In 2020, AG donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. Right now, to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, it's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one year free. That is right, folks. One free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. How did the favorite nations come along? Is that something just you brought up and like, uh, you know, I need this to, to be secure here. I can go elsewhere and make more money. I mean, that's basically how it came about. I can't actually remember the exact way, you know, it was, it yep. was just something talked about in negotiations. You negotiate the contract, you know, it's like, Hey man, I gotta, I gotta have my, my travel. I mean, he, Paul would pay for our flights. Um, some, some he would like he had someone that would book flights for people, but they would book them like hours before their flight. It was crazy. <laughs> um, you probably heard stories about that. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would book my own flights and then just tell them, uh, "Hey, it was five hundred bucks," and he'd reimburse me. Sabu, who had the Winnebago, he would drive in, and then uh, Paul would give him the money for a plane ticket. Uh, but but Sabu would keep it and drive-in he we all have like our own deals you know i gotta have my hotel taken care of or um whatever it was negotiation tactics i don't think i had an agent at that time uh I, maybe i did though i don't know i had an agent in 2001 when i worked my first deal out with wwe but i think that was the very first time i brought him into wrestling he was supposed to be a hollywood dude and I brought him in as a buffer and regretted it later with WWE because there was nothing he could do for me. I was there face to face every day with these guys. And he's, yep. yeah. Um, 
but anyway, I, I really don't know exactly how it came up. You know, um, somebody offered it or asked for it, and it was agreed upon. Pretty good spot to be in, though. You know what I mean? To, to have that favorite nations. I know Hall and Nash famously had it in WCW, but I mean, that, that's a great spot to at least get that guarantee. I know other people had issues, like Shane Douglas always said, like, oh, I wasn't getting paid. You know, Paul owes me 144K. Or, you know what I mean? It, it piles up. So that was good for you on your end. Smart. Yeah, you know, I never, you're not gonna, you're not gonna find any interviews of me bitching about um, my checks bouncing and me starving and stuff because right. I wasn't suffering uh, during that that time. Um, but you know, as much as we know Paul, and I didn't think about this back then, uh, but it's probably safe to assume I wasn't the only one that had favorite nation. You know, he probably, maybe, <laughs> right. maybe all of his top guys, maybe Dreamer, maybe right. you know, that's that would be very Paul like. Yeah. Uh, PJ, just an incredible buddy of mine. He tells me stories of like he's on the phone with Shane or somebody, and PJ standing next to him, and Paul is like bullshitting him and you know giving the finger to the phone and oh yeah yeah I'll give you that money blah blah. So credible leaves and he's like the next person comes in he does the same thing to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, F you PJ you're not getting that money like <laughs> right. you know that kind of stuff from Paul. Yeah, he's like yeah. Uh, I mean, there's I mean, the stories you know have been told to death but uh that it was like that for me when they would book the flights if, if i had to fly out friday morning to be there uh friday evening i would be up all night you know stressing that they're not going to book my ticket you know i'm like it's it's after midnight like is this canceled are we not doing it There's, you know hold on hold on any minute now you know sometimes it would be two wow. two three in the morning it's like boom we got your itinerary you fly out at six that was uh, at the time it was okay. I mean, after I had a little more experience, I don't think I could handle <laughs> doing business that way. Yeah, there's like got to be a lot of stress involved with that. Like, oh shit, when's the flight? Well, I can't miss the show, you know. But it would have been their fault if I missed it. So there was that, you know. I mean, it's not like if you look at it like that. If you look at it like I'm gonna let the fans down, no way around that. But if you look at it like, oh, hope I don't get in trouble for no showing, it's on him. You know what I mean? And and sometimes I would fly that bereavement fair where I give a different a different name because you got a discounted ticket. Yeah. And that was all part of it. Yeah. George Costanza on Seinfeld style. Yeah, that bereavement <laughs> yeah. fair. Yeah. Yeah. But nonetheless, though, I didn't want to leave. You know, that's where I had the most fun. And now, you know, I'm still wrestling, not nearly as many matches, but pretty much whenever I do, uh, usually everyone expects it to be an extreme rules match just because that's where I thrive. That's my, yep. yeah, that's, that's, and that's what they want to see and stuff usually. So um, usually uh, it ends up getting extreme and, uh, and that is where I'm happiest still. Back in ECW, I know it, it's funny to look back at it now. It's like, wow, the TV champion is more popular than the world champion. No matter who the world champion was, it just seemed to be that way when you're the TV champion. Was that like on purpose by Paul or was it like destined for you to unseat the world champion and be double champ? You know what I mean? It just, it felt like that kind of thing where it's like, wow, the TV champion is here. The world champion is just a step below when you were the champ. Did you have that same kind of sense of where you're supposed to be the world champ? Well, that was my, that was my vision was I, I wanted to have both belts eventually, but maybe still, but once the TV belt meant more than the heavyweight belt, if I had them both, then I could still put the TV belt forward and thereby still uh, increasing the value of both. Because the heavyweight champion is always going to have the, you know, the built-in grandfathered-in value of being 
uh, the championship. I wanted to have both belts. I, I wanted to wrestle my costume for it because I thought he yeah. was a great champion. Yep. Uh, Amanda was talked about. I, I can't tell you what Paul's plans were because I'm sure, you know, if we talked that far ahead, I'm sure he told me one thing and Mike one other thing, you know, so I can't really say what his plans were, but um, that was that was something I enjoyed doing. I wasn't in a hurry to do it, you know, because like the fans would be screaming RVD, like sometimes through the whole show till I came out at the end. What do I need the heavyweight belt for? You know, um, and then I felt it was on me. I felt the burden, the pressure of making sure that they got their money's worth because I was so high on ECW, you know, pushing it, promoting it everywhere. You got to see ECW. It's the best. So I really wanted them to feel like, man, you're right. That's, you know, uh, and, and so I, I really felt like my efforts did make a difference at that time. And that in itself was so rewarding best, you know, most fun uh, time out of, out of my whole career. And uh, also, um, you know, the, those matches that I had, part of that is, I think, being hungry, you know. So that's that's the that's the paradox of it, you know, is, is like eventually you don't want to be that hungry anymore. But then when you're not that hungry, that then the fire doesn't burn quite the same way, um, you know, and you, and you find other reasons to do it. But, I mean, it's just a little bit different. When I was building my name still and I was like, man, every time – you know, people leave this building. They're, I want them to tell people about me. And then those people come like after a while, when you lose a uh, uh, perspective of, of, of that on a, on a different scale, then, uh, you know, then, then there's certain uh, tiers of competition uh, that, that, uh, that, that are lowered for better or worse, you know, maybe right. it's, yeah. To me, like when you're building yourself up, to me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, when you beat Bigelow, or you know, you have that match with Bam Bam Bigelow, I feel like that is what really, like, okay, RVD's awesome. I love this guy. But when you beat Bam Bam, then it's like, oh shit, like, okay, he's a main eventer now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that brings you to another level to me, because to me, Bam Bam, I, I you know, love Bam Bam. He, I think he helped Taz. I think he helped Shane immensely. But I always, always felt like, wow, when you beat him, it's like, wow, holy crap, he beat Bam Bam. Yeah, no question about it. That that match uh, goes down as uh, definitely one of the mo one of the very important uh, uh, moments in my career. And and I didn't understand it. Paul knew it was going to happen. Um, I I feel like I've said this many times, but that the next night after I beat Bam Bam, I was wrestling Mikey Whipwreck at the Queen's Elks Lodge, and I had this idea because I was always trying to outdo myself. I want to crotch Mikey on the guardrail, but come up cross the whole walkway, the entranceway, and springboard off the other guardrail and clear the whole entranceway and kick him. You know, when he, you know, what do you think, Paul? You think, you know, think that'd be? He goes, it doesn't matter what you do. These people are going to love you. And I really, <laughs> like, I didn't. I was like, whatever, weirdo. <laughs> I had no idea what he, what he was getting at, but total different energy immediately from the crowd uh and it never went back so uh they definitely held me in a higher esteem instantly after that bam bam bigelow match no question about it and the the, the whole vibration uh of my relationship with the crowd was just like boom on, on a much higher level so um you know that that was great i loved it i loved loved wrestling bam bam 
he was such a key part because he really got Taz to the point where he got Taz super over. And even Shane, when Shane, you know, he's over, he's, he's, he's a big name, but when he beat Bigelow, it's a, Oh shit. I don't know. You, you take more notice. If you beat a big guy like Bam Bam with a name. And even like Terry Funk, like those type of guys, you, you really establish yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. And you know, as far as just extreme hardcore wrestling goes, Bam Bam was, was great at that. Uh, he was old school. So, uh, if I ever like really caught him with something, you know, say I whack, I whack him with a chair and it, and it, and it hits him uh, maybe harder than I intended or whatever. I just, I always know when the receipt's coming and it's like this mutual respectful thing because that's the way that I got brought in. You know, it's like, okay, here it comes. And whether it's just a bam, it could be a really stiff clothesline on the floor. You could pick a table up and throw it at me or whatever is one move, bam. And then it's, then it's over, you know, it's like tap yep. for tat, tap yep. for tat, nothing personal. It makes the match better. You know, it brings the competition up, you know, and then just, and it looks good, you know, and it's, uh, I, I love that. So, you know, uh, I miss them just like anybody. Now you mentioned before, like you don't have a lot of guys in your inner circle or you didn't have a lot of guys in the inner circle, obviously Sabu, but I thought it was so interesting that Brian Solomon did the chic book about Eddie Farhat, the, the, the original chic, obviously your trainer, mentor, Sabu's uncle was him like being your trainer was that a part of the i gotta keep things like this because that's that literally was his gimmick you know is he kept kayfabe to everybody is that why you were like that i still am because of that you know i'm still offended by a lot of the stuff that i see nowadays because i was taught and i and i know you you know i hate it when people say i wasn't brought up that way because i say Nobody was brought up that way. We have to adapt. Your perception changes when you're an adult. Yeah. In the wrestling business, uh, I don't really feel like I have to change to adapt because, why? Wow, I've been wrestling, you know, 30 years, and uh, what am I trying to do? You know what I mean? I'm just trying to be true to myself. But it was the number one rule was to protect the business. Always, always, always was. And then somewhere way down the road, one uh, it became uh, number one rule: safety first. <laughs> like what? That's that's so so opposite. You know, like the way we trained. Uh, if you got bloody, that was really that was good for the match. You know, it made it look good. And there was no air allowed between anybody. I, the, my whole training with Sheik was all about grabbing each other and holding each other tighter, bringing each other in, whether it's a headlock or a waist lock or an arm lock. It was always about you know, coming in and bringing in and squeezing. And anytime, anytime uh, somebody was on their back on the mat, boom, you better be jumping on him, trying to pin him because that's what you're out here doing is trying to win. And uh, that's, that's not the way that, um, that I see a lot of uh, wrestling today. So a lot of times, you know, it, uh, it, it, uh, it eats me up. It, it, it What's the right way to put it? Um, some things, you know, uh, uh, are less than enjoyable for me to watch just because uh, of that mentality, old school pers perspective that I have. Because, uh, you know, it's I see where it's missing. And I think that the audience might not exactly know what's missing, but they just know they're not as connected as they used to be, you know, back in the day with other wrestlers when it was different. And I do know what, what, it, what it is, what it was, what's causing it. And so seeing that makes me think, you know, what do they expect? You know, I, I mean, what's it going to be eventually, unless it just goes straight up to like a Broadway play? 
So you don't watch too much wrestling anymore, I'm going to guess. Um, not very much. I record them all. I record them all every week. And then sometimes uh, me and Katie will watch something. Usually I'm, I'll try to point things out to her, you know, help her uh, along. Um, or uh, or sometimes we watch it a little bit. But, yeah, I don't I – don't, I don't spend a lot of time uh, watching it, you know, and obviously there's a lot of talented guys on there. I'm not trying to bad, bad mouth uh, today's uh, wrestling scene by, by any, by any means. I mean, people like they, they step it up and up and up uh, to where, I don't even know if it means what it means anymore. Now someone does a springboard um, shooting star, double flip to the floor. And it's almost like, who did that? Does anybody even remember? And it's like, man, it's, it's, all, it's a shame it got to be that way, um, but everything has to move forward. You know, we, we had less people on the planet. If you go back 100 years, it was easier to stand up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's very true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. To me, you know, definitely something's missing. I don't. The guys aren't as larger than life. I mean, there's some guys that stick out like Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar or some of them, but I don't know, like, there's not that lo- those larger-than-life guys. Back in the WCW, WWF, ECW era, I mean, it's all those guys were larger-than-life. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like they, they decided that they would sell more tickets if the wrestlers looked more like regular people and if people could relate more. I don't know. Um, and that is a factor. I mean, obviously, people can relate more when they are about the same size, same look. And then we have a lot more fans that just walk their way right into the business. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and with today's cancel culture, nerf friendly, um, you know, safe uh, work environment that, that we have. Um, it's easier and easier and easier for people to just uh, get into the wrestling. Whereas, you know, we had to get beat up and stretched and all kinds yeah. of stuff before we made it past day one. That stuff doesn't fly anymore. And everything has changed about the business so that now anybody can have a chance, you know? Funny, I was just talking to a couple old school wrestlers. They were saying like when they broke in, and we're talking about late seventies, early eighties, they breaking in, they're with professional football players. The football player doesn't make it through. They ended up making it through, but it was almost like they got their ass kicked and these pro football players getting their ass kicked so much, but they just didn't want it enough. But nowadays it's like, Oh, anybody can get in. They're not going to kick your ass and see if you can stand the test of time and actually you know, see how bad you want it. Eh, they'll train you anyway, even if you know you're not going to make it. So, so interesting. Like, wow, wouldn't you cater to this pro football player back in the day? No, they're going to kick his ass just like get anybody else's ass. They want to see if you have what it's got. You know, in in inside your heart. Like, do you have it to make it in the business? Right. Yeah. Um, and that's always been you know the, the call on, on like who's training. It's their call to make. Do you take somebody's money and train them just for the right. for the money? And so you got an extra body in your class to take bumps. Or do you do the honest thing and say, look, man, you're never going to make it anywhere in the business. And, you know, uh, it was uh, Bill Anderson um, in California where Ultimate Warrior and Sting came from that, that, that school out there. Um, yep. when, when I first went there and I saw they were charging $25 a workout, no commitment, anybody could go and just pay. That's when I realized, you know, that it was – the, the wall was blown down that, that was up when Sheik uh, got me into the business. You know, we, yep. it was all about protect the business first, no matter what. You know, and we sacrificed a lot to do that. Guys before me sacrificed even more, you know, like um, 
when I was in WCW, um, you know, just thinking of someone to that extent, uh, Mike Graham told us he never smartened his wife up the whole time that he was with her, wow. married to her. He never smartened her up to the business. And she just assumed, you know, that he was out fighting every night. And, uh, and there was a rule when I was in WCW, you couldn't have your girlfriend or wife. Um, if you have both, like, some people do. Uh, <laughs> they weren't allowed anywhere near the arena. Like, like if they were, if they were picking you up after the center stage taping or whatever, you would have to like go to a, a spot upstairs in the parking lot where people can't see you. And uh, and you know you you wouldn't get away with that stuff nowadays. You would just get sued. In the, yep. like I say, the work friendly environment that that the whole world is becoming. It's funny. I think there was like a meme or a gif, whatever you want to call it. You and Katie, and then the girlfriend, like, "Oh, I'm living my best life." It's so funny. <laughs> like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The- new video, new video on my YouTube page. Oh. From, uh, uh, Jennifer is in this as well because uh, we went to Atlanta over the weekend. Uh, Katie's brother Timmy graduated, and the family had a big party and rented these big water slides. And, and then we also got uh, Jennifer and went out, and uh, Katie and I rented some scooters and went all over the, the beltway through the city and shit. And uh, it's really fun. And I'm getting uh, good at capturing content now, which people have asked me to do for like 10 years, and now I'm starting to get it. Like, you know, it's not, not that much pressure if I just get, you know, a little bit here and there, and then Put the highlights together and make a package yeah. afterwards. So I'm having yeah. a lot of fun with that. Yeah. I just want to ask you about 2001. You're, you know, when you go to WWF, it's like, wow, you're probably the most over guy. Well, one of the most over guys. Austin is still there, obviously, but they're trying to make him a heel. It's just one of those things where, like, you're not world champion, but you're feuding with Jeff Hardy. You're having great matches. Then you're feuding with Steve Austin a little bit, Kurt Angle a little bit, having these great matches. Was it ever a thought of yours, like, wow, like I should have been champion then? Like you were the most over guy? Because at that point, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, maybe Vince doesn't like him or something. You know what I mean? Or maybe because he's from not from WWF. Does that ever like cross your mind? Like, man, I'm the most over guy here. One of the most over guys. I should be champion or I should be higher up on the card. I don't remember feeling that that way at all. I remember being very humbled. Um, I think, you know, the fact that I'm winning, I'm winning. Triple H comes out, hits me with a pedigree. You know, <laughs> just over and over and over, I felt like at that time with that competitive state of mind, like, okay, how how many times do we have to tell the story that I can't beat this guy? No matter what, every time we work, I cannot beat him. Even if I beat everyone else, you know, and, and that's how I felt. And so I felt, uh, I felt humbled. I didn't feel like I wasn't really riding the high that my character was. I was still being told some things and then the plans changed at the last minute and stressing me out and having like certain things uh, um, uh, told to me, conversations that were happening where people were for me, other people were against me, voicing their opinions. And there was always like so much going on that um, I never felt like I was the guy. I mean, I had my connection with the crowd and that was my favorite part of the day. You know, boom, when I go through the curtains and I get that pop, I look around for all the signs. Everybody had an RVD sign. And I pointed at them and connected with them. All that was real. And I was like, no matter what they do to me, this is real. They can't take this away from me. That's That's how I felt. But at the same time, Every year, you know, when uh, after WrestleMania, when they do a round of firing, everyone is so shocked. Like, oh, 
can you believe they let so-and-so go? And then, yeah. you know, the egos that they have to have to feel like they're untouchable, you know, and, and, and really feel like, uh, like, like they couldn't be fired. I don't know what that's like. I, I felt like the whole time I was there, uh, even though I was really connecting and I knew the fans loved me and I knew that I was loving my matches and all that, there was enough going on to, to balance that out in my head to where I still, you know, felt like uh, I was definitely expendable um, if they if they chose, you know, to do, do this instead of this one time. Yep. For me, it was more like, oh, I'm not fired? Okay. That's how I felt. <laughs> Any heat there with Triple H over, like, not maybe not now, but over the years that, like, oh my God. Cause I remember being, being a fan of those days of like, man, this guy's okay. He's got to be Booker T. He's got to be Michaels. He's got to be Kane. He's got to be Goldberg. Like, mm-hmm. he beats RVD, he beats Jericho. Like, he's not that big of a star. Like, why is he beating everybody? Was there any, ever any heat with uh, Triple H? Well, I mean, I wasn't happy uh, about the situation at the time. You know what I mean? Again, competitive, competitive state of mind. You don't look at it. Uh, when you're across the ring from them and you're both competing for the love of the crowd, you don't look at it like, Hey, you know, this guy is a, not a CEO, but whatever his position was at the time, uh, you know, he, he is qualified to make important decisions. He sits in on the meetings. He's one of the guys that directs the paths of where the whole show is going. You don't look at it like that. You look at it more like it's not fair just because he's with the boss's daughter you know, and, yeah. and really there's so many more variables to it that you just don't consider at that time. And, and a lot of wrestlers don't grow enough to see the whole picture. So forever, uh, their opinion will be like it is in the book they wrote where they're like, if it wasn't for him, I would have, you know, had a great career. But, you know, really um, it, it it is what it is. But looking back, I had great matches with him. He's a really good wrestler um and at the time i don't even think i could have admitted that just because i felt you know more like uh puffing my chest out and trying to trying to fight for every inch i could get funny like looking back though it's like okay like i wonder if rvd and vince like have this good relationship and then i watch the documentary and then i see at the hall of fame with him and you guys it seemed like you have a great relationship with vince mcmahon what's what's the relationship like with with vince it just seems like not what i thought yeah, no, I th- we have a great relationship, you know. He's uh, I have nothing but respect for him um, uh, from my personal interactions with him. He's always been nothing but super respectful to me. And, you know, from watching so many of his interviews that he does, I find myself agreeing with him almost 100% of the time. And, and you know, I, I really learned to respect him the, the more I understood you know, about life and just the more I grew, um, you know, I feel like I was really immature when I worked with them and, and uh, got busted with the marijuana and dropped the ball and stuff. Yeah. Not that I'm necessarily above, uh, above, you know, uh, something like that again, but, uh, you know, I definitely dropped the ball and, and I feel bad about that. And he's, you know, the most important man uh, that I know. So, um, you know, to, that's, that's really, uh, what I have to say about Vince. So I hope, I hope that he lives uh, a long time. I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, I'm grateful to know him. He's probably the most famous uh, man too. Well, maybe him and Hulk Hogan. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Were you surprised to get the call for the Hall of Fame? Not that it's, I mean, God, it's well-deserved. Maybe it should have been long overdue, but were you surprised to get it just because, I don't know, the, the Hall of Fame is so weird. Like, the Steiner brothers weren't in it until last year. Like, King Kong Bundy's still not in it. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's a weird thing, the WWE Hall of Fame. So were you surprised at all to be inducted? Yes. Uh, and at the same time, it's kind of like uh, sometimes I'm surprised they don't reach out uh, and ask me to do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I like the same feeling where it's like I, I, you know, and this is a future RV ideology episode. I'm going to talk about expectations. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, living in the moment is about uh, not allowing yourself to form expectations so you can truly engage with what's going on because you have expectations and that sometimes if reality doesn't meet uh, what your expectations were, you're disappointed in a, in a situation where really things might not be that bad or maybe they are, you know, like marriage. A lot of people have expectations of what marriage is going to be like. And so they just want to get married and that's so important to them. They end up with the wrong person and then the relationship isn't like what they expected. And then, you know, then everything, then the whole life falls apart and it's, you know, it's like um, there, there's uh, there's reasons for everything. And, and, and that's a pattern that I can see uh, uh, going, going right there. Um, yeah. But, so were you uh, expecting to be in the Hall of Fame? No, I wasn't. I got it. You know, whenever I, I get the 203 on my phone and I see that, I'm like, oh, boy, what's shit? What, you know, what's going on? <laughs> and, uh, and it was Johnny. And he said, um, you know, uh, Vince, we're all sitting at the table. And, and Vince wanted me to uh, give you a call and find out if you'd be interested in uh, being inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. You know, so, of course, I was like, well, of course. Yeah, I'd be I'd be honored. Um, and I was, and it was a, it was a really good experience. Uh, I, I, I wasn't shocked. I don't think anything shocks me anymore. You know, like you lucky even to get a, uh, an emotion out of me. Um, but that's just like, you know, uh, when, when, when I get a call and it says two Oh three, it's like, huh, I wonder if they want me to sign some merchandise or, Maybe they want me to. It doesn't seem like they want, like they're trying. They're not trying to book me to wrestle, but I still think sometimes, you know, like maybe it's something about a pay per view or whatever. Uh, the last couple times they called about wrestling didn't work out. Corona was involved in that. That was way long ago. Yep. Um, but it was, I guess, it was after I made my return, though. So this was like 2014 or something. Anyway, I think that they got it right, I'm guessing, in the uh, documentary, the icons, when they say that I think that the WWE doesn't think that I want it enough. And so I think that's why they just kind of like leave me alone for the most part. Could be. You know, maybe because uh, that's, you know, that's, like I said, you're lucky to get an emotion out of me. I'm obviously very stoic. Same thing happens like when I'm filming movies. You know, I remember the whole time I was on a a sniper special ops set. My friend was the director, uh, Chris Olin Ray. He kept coming by like, you having fun? You having a good time? All right, you sure? You know, and and I get get that a lot. Like when I'm around a bunch of people, people feel the need to check on me because I'm not going, you know, out there dancing and stuff. You know, I'm just like fucking looking at people. You're like, wow, look at them. 
look at the nervous energy interacting with each other. And I'm studying people and that's, that's more like uh, <clears throat> what I do. But um, I, you know, a lot of my experience uh, in, in, uh, in reactions, I, I keep inside. And I think maybe uh, that's why WWE doesn't really fuck with me that much. You know, they, uh, they, they, I don't know, but I'm still, I'm still wrestling and, uh, and, and I don't want it bad enough to, uh, you know, to, to be begging them or even, even forward with my own plans and ideas about, dude, this should be great. I was thinking I could work with this guy and we could do this and this. Uh, I don't even, you know, want it that much. Like that's not, that's not me. That's not the way my brain works. Whenever I get asked in an interview, is there any guys that you see that you would love to work with? I always can't answer anybody because I don't think like that. I don't do fantasy matches. Um, and, uh, you know, Sabu doesn't either. So that's just a trait that we have is the, uh, is the Sheik's voice. Yeah. It's yeah. so true about like you mentioned expectations too, because I did like a side job for somebody and thought I was going to get like a certain amount. My expectations were so set on this amount and it was less. My wife was like, well, you're lucky you got anything. And I was like, well, if I had that attitude going in, it would, I would have had that, but I had the expectations. So I was so mad at the time. I was like, yeah. but you're right. If I had tempered my expectations, I would have been, I would have been easy peasy. would have had a nice, smooth uh, reaction. Yeah. And if you really like stretch that out and apply it to a really big picture, like life, think of how many people thought they knew where they were going to be in life, whether it was married with kids or whether it was successful in the job. And just because they're at a point that's different than what they expected now blows their mind. The plans are fucked up and now they're judging themselves on being a failure. And, you know, uh, it might not be a bad moment if you didn't have all that. Might, you might be in a good place. So that's uh, definitely uh, worth talking about. You know, what's what I do is I find some stories uh, in, in my that I can remember or that I've written down, um, you know, where I've uh, where I can relate to that and uh, and wrap it up into a nice little RVDology package. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. As we head towards the wind up, we head towards finish. What's going on with RVD CBD? Is that still uh, still kicking ass and taking names? It is. It is indeed. I have uh, bam, uh, tons of product around. Um, there's so we've been around two and a half years ish, and um, you know through the pandemic and stuff. And I've I've learned as far as like partnering up with different people um, that we have been kissing a lot of frogs, you know, and gotten uh, gotten a few good ones in between. We managed to to steadily grow. The, the best part is the feedback that I get, like all the time, like whether it's people I don't know or it's like friends, you know, that have tried it. And they tell me that, uh, like, I just got one yesterday from a kid I went to school with. He said his dad has tried all these products. Nothing helps with his back. Uh, and and, and, the, and the guy, you know, can't, can't get up, walk around. Gave him some RVD CBD, a pain cream he put it on his back. A few minutes later, he was up walking around, and he said he's never had anything work like that before. And it's like, I get so much. In fact, 100% of the of the feedback that I get uh, that makes its way to me is is that you know, can can you imagine like how can you not feel like you're on the right path when so many people are are telling you that? So so that's great. I'm so happy to do that. Um, at the same time, um, there's there's other cannabinoids and that's what I want to grow into because there's CBD, which if people are saturated with uh, THC, they're not going to try CBD or that might not be for them. But people that don't smoke pot, 
um, they can use CBD as an alternative medicine and, and everyone gets different results, but amazing results because it tells your own systems how to heal. It's kind of like uh, hooking your truck up to a diagnostics test uh, because you have this uh, endocannabinoid system that's a message center that goes throughout your body. And the CBD, just like THC, it'll latch onto the receptors of your system and do a check and find out, mostly based on inflammation, uh, just like anything, um, but sometimes other um, other imbalances. And everything from uh, thickness of bone, helping uh, broken bones heal better, to uh, regulating menstrual cycles, to, uh, of course, uh, anxiousness and helping sleep and uh, headaches, migraines. Um, there's, there's been so many reports that are some of our common, some of them not so common, that, of ways that it helps them. So I want to keep exploring all the other cannabinoids, too. You know, we only knew about THC forever with yeah. marijuana. And that was, do we have a second? Do you want me to give you a quick education on that? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. All right, check this out. So, um, so cannabis, marijuana was banned uh, in in the 30s. Harry Anslinger had to campaign state to state. He was an asshole uh, getting it banned by all these lies. And William Randolph Hearst was pushing in his newspaper, oh, it makes kids crazy and everyone's getting addicted to it and blah, 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 the devil's weed. Um, in 1947, Mayor LaGuardia said, you know, if I'm going to make this uh, prohibited in my city, let me do my own tests and compare and see if all these uh, claims are true. He tested it. You can look up the LaGuardia Commission report and, and you'll see the results from that test. Marijuana safe. You shouldn't prohibit it. You shouldn't be locking people up for it. There's no evidence of it being addictive, leading to other drugs or of kids um, uh, using it at, at an increasingly alarmingly rate. None of this is true. So. Henry Anslinger buried LaGuardia's report and made it illegal to study the, the plant forever in 1947. So all through since then, it's illegal. All we know about marijuana is it gets you high. Now, now that uh, we're, it's getting quasi-legal state by state, uh, now we're starting to study it in the last several years, and we're realizing THC, which gets you high, is only one out of over 100 different elements little particular factors cannabinoids that are part of the plant's personality so you can take different cannabinoids and you can combine them you can manipulate them and you can actually uh, especially with enough study learn to get different results that you want and also avoid results that you don't want and i have seen where you can go to a doctor and you check boxes and you say i want a formula that has, uh, you know, I want to be able to focus. I, I want to study. Uh, I don't want the giggles. I don't want the munchies. Uh, I want to be able to, uh, you know, I want, I want to feel creative, you know. Um, I don't want to feel cloudy. And you check all these boxes, and a, and a doctor that studies that's really into that will say, hey, I'm going to recommend, you know, this is a 20% CBN, 20% CBD, uh, 50% THC, and then, you know, 10% um, THC1, whatever. There's all these different. So that's where the science is going, which could replace at least 80% of pharmaceuticals. And that's why it's prohibited. They got to make their money, big pharma. Yeah. Yeah. Not just that alcohol, tobacco. Well, yeah. Everybody, they, not everybody, but everyone that rules the world, the evil one percenters that, that make all the decisions. So now they're learning to control 
uh, all the grow farms, and then they're going to flip the switch when they can profit from it, which which they've been investing in for a long time. But so now uh, I have RVD CBD, which uh, RVDCBD.com is where we sell most of our stuff. We're in several stores in different states. We can we can uh, mail that across state lines. RVD THC that has to be grown and licensed separate in each state. So I got to have different partners on that. That's something that I'm doing right now, growing with. And uh, um, like I said, we've kissed a lot of frogs, but right now there's more reason than ever to feel optimistic. There's just a a fantastic uh, implosion of all what seems like the right partners coming together. Uh, Networking has a lot to do with uh, collaborating on distribution, on new items, on getting the product out there to, to more people. So super, super stoked about it. And CBD has been growing and growing. It's one, it's one you know field that's really been big time on the growth. But it seems like, for the most part, it seems like a positive. You know what I mean? That, that there's not too negative or too many negatives out there about CBD. It seems to finally everyone's kind of catching up with it. Yeah, I, I feel like most of the negative that I've heard is is that they people that have tried something that's bullshit. And, uh, and I've read in reports that up to 70% of what, what's out there on the shelves is, is, is not what's claimed on the packaging. Wow. You know, they have it at gas stations. They oh, have yeah, those, yeah, those are. Yeah, you know, so, uh, so I stand behind my product is the best. Um, I sampled a lot of products uh, before I agreed to each of my products, and I tweaked them. Uh, the pain cream, I wanted it to be like um, – that uh, biofreeze, yeah, but, but be loaded with maximum amount of CBDs. You have also CBD receptors on your skin itself, um, and so it, so it actually starts working right there, and then goes into your system, and you know it tells you to heal. Besides the menthol that's loaded in there, so you feel it soothing, feel uh, it's circulating. I love my pain cream. It is, in my opinion, the best pain cream out of all the CBD products, um, and that's from all the ones that I tried. So, so it's cool to be able to stand by that being the whole effort show. Uh, I love it when people try the product and say, even when they tried other stuff, mine is, uh, is what works for them. And that makes me feel confident about, you know, putting my name on it because I worked a lot on making it the best. Now give me like the legacy of RVD, like the stamp left behind, because it's like funny, it's like RVD, the entrepreneur now, you know, RVD, the businessman, but also the legendary wrestler, the Hall of Famer. Like, what do you, if somebody, you know, years from now is like, man, that RVD, his legacy was what? I don't know if that's for me to answer. Um, I, I, and if so, then I'm not really sure how. I hope that. I'm remembered for making a difference, for creating my own path and inspiring others to do that as well. I feel like I have, I feel like my efforts have helped change the marijuana laws everywhere. I feel like my efforts have helped change uh, wrestling. Um, I feel like my efforts uh, have helped uh, change the way that a lot of people feel about the way that they fit into society in, in, in different ways. And that's based on uh, feedback, feedback of people that have uh, heard me talk on one of uh, my, my platforms where I'm able to, you know, to connect like that. Um, 
every you know it, it's it's uh it's i'm i'm not i, I guess you know i I guess uh, hopefully I, I'm, you know, instead of a follower, I don't think I'm necessarily a leader. I'm kind of taking my own path. But if others want to ride in my wake for however long it helps them out for, then, uh, you know, I'm I'm stoked for that. But as far as like labeling me entrepreneur, CBD, CEO, actor, comedian, and if, as far as that goes, I can't do that. You know, I just uh, live and I will keep exploring opportunities that interest me or that are beneficial um, at the time and worth pursuing. And everything is worth considering, like I said. You weren't a big basketball fan, were you? You kind of remind me of Phil Jackson, the Zen master, a little bit. Uh, I know that, you know, like I could also do a whole series on things that make me different than everybody. And I might help people that feel like they're outcasts, you know, especially when you're a kid. I hate that as a kid when other kids are like, you know, oh, you bought those shoes at Kmart, you know, oh, fuck off. You know, it's like it's so hard uh, and it means so much more to you as a kid than it really should. Yep. Um, but. I, I don't watch sports. I can't. I this. I can't talk to uh, another man about a lot of things that, that men talk about. I can't talk about sports. I can't talk about cars. I can't talk about guns. Um, I, there's, there's. I can't talk about music. I mean, there's not too many people that I know that don't subscribe their soul to music. And I personally feel like when music's on, it's. Sometimes I use the word robbing my conscious, but let me just say it is at least uh, subconsciously distracting my my attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. On and you're and you're just you don't even know, and your your lips are moving to the words to it. You know, and it's something in the background, but you're trying to read a book or you're trying to think of something else. That's something that I didn't have anybody teach me. That's just me. You know, somebody made a comment the other day. Because uh, they saw me working out and they texted somebody that, that I knew and said they saw me and they said, he works out with no music. <laughs> I <laughs> I drive with no music uh, wow. you know, a lot of times. And, and uh, it's weird to me that music is such a big part of life. You wake up to music on the alarm. You have, Even if you're going to watch a, a TV drama or comedy show, it's, it opens with uh, music. Commercials have musical jingles. Your phone rings, it's music. I think that music controls people to an extent that I maybe don't subscribe to. What about Pantera Walk? No, you're not going to listen to that? Uh, it's not that I don't listen to them, you know, and I do get uh, energy from music. I don't have like a preference. Sometimes I love that kind of music. Katie listens to hip hop, so a lot of times that's what's on. Um, and, and, and I will listen to it, but... I'm not a guy that's going to buy a ticket and go to a concert. If you see me at a concert, I'm not singing. I'm not dancing. Um, I haven't bought uh, a CD, if they even still sell those. Um, and and I, I don't feel like gyrating when I when I hear music. You know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. I really like the energy. Yeah, I can work out to this. I like the, the attitude. Yeah, it's in your face. But I don't know. It's, it's weird, like, studying people like I do. People that uh, dance, they have a dance face. And what's that? If you're not acting, if you're not acting, then what is the dance face? Some people will bite their lip. They'll, mm, <laughs> the fuck? And other other people have a surprise look. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, and it's like everyone, like, they, they put a certain face on when they start to engage in the dancing ritual. And I feel like an alien from another planet sometimes um, when I see society in there in the ways that they follow each other in directions I don't go. To me, sometimes... I don't hate music. Like- I don't hate music you know what I mean? Like, I, I enjoy it sometimes, but like I said, I don't subscribe to it. To me, sometimes you hear the music and like you'll equate it to wrestling or something. Like, like literally when Pantera yeah, Walk comes on, sure. I always yeah, think of respect Walk. You know, RV, yeah. you you doing the the finger points. You know, of course, yeah. And there's songs when I hear it, I'll think about when uh, Katie and I just met. Uh, there's certain songs I'll think about remind me of when I was a kid at summer camp. Yeah, I, I get that, but it's weird to me that um, how people like if it's in the if it's in a song that's on the radio. Then, then it's real to them. I'll be like, well, what does that word even mean? I don't know. I think they mean this. Well, you're singing it. How are you singing it if you don't even know what the, they make words up? Are you just going to go ahead and blindly sing the words because they're doing it? I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe I should get checked out. <laughs> Before we let you go, though, give us all the plugs again. Talk about uh, RVDology, where everybody can get it, and all your uh, social media and RVD, CBD. Yeah, so uh, rvdcbd.com is the uh, is the place to order our products and to keep up with us right now. We're always growing. We're building a, a new website and, um, and growing more products. People want to know what where do I start with CBD. It depends on what results uh, you want. The tinctures that you drop under your tongue. Uh, that's like the fastest delivery system. If you if you want help sleeping, great. You need help with anxieties? Great. Gummies can help with that too. Um, it's not as concentrated of a dose, and then you eat it with the sugar, so as to some of it gets, you know, goes through your digestive system. Whatever, you know. But th- those those work as well. But uh, I'll say that and, and follow them at RVD CBD. That's on Instagram or, or Twitter, or whatever. And all my social medias are the real RVD. I'm uh, spending more and more time on my YouTube page. I want my subs to grow. So I'm going to start um, start looking at uh, contests and incentives and in uh, 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 tier motivators to, to grow it because I want to reach more people. Um, out, of, uh, out of every uh, 100 people I reach, there might be one with potential. Awesome. Well, RVD, thank you so much for all the time today. I really appreciate it. we got a special guest in the background. Hey. Hey, y'all. Hey. Yeah. RVD. RVD. Glad you're living your best life. Thank you so much for all the time. Indeed. Right on, dude. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>